Welcome to the Kickstart Garage, where we want to inspire and educate the leaders of tomorrow. Join us as we learn from the best in the business. Welcome back to the Kickstart Garage. I'm your host, Sam John Byrne. On today's show, we're going to cover systematic investing or otherwise known as quantitative investing. And perhaps this is the first time many of you have even heard of this strategy and it may sound daunting and complicated, but trust me, it's not. In fact, it's a great strategy for a novice investor to allocate a portion of their portfolio to if they wanted to take a more hands-on approach to get a feel for how active investing works. In my opinion, it's a great place to start and some of the strategies have performed exceptionally well based on back-tested data. Now, granted, take that with a pinch of salt because back-tested data isn't the most reliable gauge for these types of strategies. Personally speaking, though, I have my US exposure in my current portfolio based on a quant strategy, which I'll take you through later in the show, so stick around. For now, let's get into it. So what is quant investing? In simple terms, it's a rules-based approach to investing. The rules will essentially govern how you pick stocks, when you buy them, sell them, or rebalance them, and how you construct your overall portfolio. Overall, systematic investing is essentially, it essentially merges quantitative analysis with the principles of a particular investment strategy. And for the purpose of this episode, we'll use some value investing strategies to highlight how it works later on. So who does this strategy suit? Well, anyone that's subject to bias. So everyone. It's the perfect strategy, particularly for the novice retail investor that's just starting out or hasn't got the time or skill set to analyze an individual stock, but also wants above average returns or that thrill of dabbling in the market. It's really a hybrid between passive and active investing. Obviously, there are differing degrees of complexity to quant strategies. At the very high end of the spectrum, Renaissance Technologies run by Jim Simmons would run very complex proprietary models, similarly with Bridgewater Associates run by Ray Dalio. But there are simple quant strategies the average Joe can use too. In fact, I believe the average Joe can do better using one of these models rather than actually individually assessing stocks themselves. The reason being that we're all vulnerable to our own bias, whether we think so or not. In fact, Benjamin Graham, the father of value investing, once said, the investor's chief problem, and even his worst enemy, is likely to be himself. And the best defense against your, your biases is to ingrain better behavior into your investment approach. Through systematic investing, you essentially implement a defined set of rules that you strictly adhere to so you don't succumb to your own bias. We all like to think that we buy stocks when there's blood in the streets or hold our positions and not cash out until, uh, and not cash out as they lose, say, like most of their value in a market downturn. Unfortunately, this is easier said than done. We don't know how we'll act until shit hits the fan. But if the world collapses from below us, we can always turn to a defined set of rules to tell us what we should do. No matter what, through good times or bad, you stick to the rules and you don't rely on yourself to make decisions. And I found a great deal of benefit in using this type of strategy because I'm extremely conservative when it comes to choosing stocks because I hate losing money. But at the same time, this comes as a huge opportunity cost to me because I pass on so many. However, having the rules in place helps me pull the trigger when there's an opportunity to be had. Obviously, the strategy comes with some drawbacks too. Sometimes rules can force you to pass on good deals or turn your back on uh, uh, greater value that could be had. Regardless, given how you behave, I believe having a system as such in place far outweighs the cons. And by the way, even outside of investing, having systems in place really develops good habits, whether it's a system of adhering to a diet to avoid procrastination or whatever it may be. 
I honestly believe a system creates good behaviors. So if you take anything away from this, think about how you could implement a system in your life that would lead to better behaviors, whether it's investing or not. Anyway, so now that you understand what it is, how and why it works, we'll talk about two quantitative value investing strategies that emulate Warren Buffett's own strategy in his early and later years, which you can also start using too. When Buffett started out, he often looked for a fair company at a wonderful price. Throughout his investment journey, he flipped then and decided to look for wonderful companies at a fair price. And there's two quant strategies that emulate the former and the latter. The strategy that emulates Buffett's initial strategy of fair companies at a wonderful price is called the Acquirer's Multiple, which was developed by Tobias Carlyle. And I've often mentioned it here previously on some previous episodes, similarly with the next one. Whilst the latter, uh, the latter of wonderful companies at a fair price is emulated uh, by the magic formula, which was developed by Joel Greenblatt. And both of these investors have contributed so much and have had a huge impact on my own investing philosophy. And I'd highly recommend, recommend you check out their books, talks, their own funds, just to learn more about them. They're a great resource and you can learn so much from them. So anyway, let's start with the acquirers multiple. Personally, this is a strategy I use for my US exposure. And the reason that I use it over Magic Formula is purely because it had a better performance on back-tested data. But both strategies are perfectly logical to use. The difference between them is that the acquirer's multiple focus on focuses just on the earnings yield relative to enterprise value and disregards the quality element. And so apologies as well um, if if you're a really novice investor and you're, you're wondering what's enterprise value and what's earnings yield. If you're listening to this, and you hear something you don't understand, jot it down and take the time to research it. It's the best way to try and get your mind around this as opposed to me um, explaining each individual component because it would just take too much time. But um, if there's anything you don't understand, Investopedia is a great resource. It's got videos and everything to help you um, further flesh out um, certain definitions. So we'll just jump back. Well, the magic formula, it, it, it looks at um, a high earnings yield relative to enterprise value uh, and a high return on capital. So getting back to the acquirer's multiple, essentially it's a value metric acquirers use to find takeover targets. It generally focuses on deep, deeply undervalued stocks because the value of these types of stocks is realized via either a takeover or mean reversion over time. What Tobias has done is built a screener that shows you the cheapest stocks based on that financial metric. And he currently offers a free large cap screener, which excludes financial stocks and utilities. This is the one I use myself, and I'll be sure to link it in the description of this episode if you're interested in finding out more. It's extremely straightforward to use and the complexity really just comes from managing your portfolio around it. But once you get the hang of it, then it's fine. Now that you have a condition on which to pick stocks, for instance, in this case, it's a low enterprise to um, earnings before interest and tax multiple. What are the rules for buying, selling, rebalancing and how many stocks should you own? Okay, so once you run the screener, you're presented with a choice of about 30 stocks to choose from. You can pick whatever ones you like for whatever reason. And you don't need to choose 30 stocks. In general terms, holding more stocks leads to greater diversification and lower volatility, but it is much harder to manage and requires more purchases. Fewer stocks reduces the number of purchases, but leads to greater volatility and magnifies the impact uh, on the portfolio of an unexpected event. But you should own at least 20 stocks to remain you know, sufficiently diversified. Now, obviously, this would have been 
a terrible strategy back in the day before kind of low cost um, broker brokers came in because you'd be paying around 15 or 20 or whatever a trade. So these types of strategies are a lot more easy to implement in this day and age. So remember, as part of the strategy, you're forgoing research in favor in, in favor of the strategy. So it's important that you diversify. And the reason being is that diversification is a protection against ignorance. You don't know why these stocks are cheap and they could be justifiably cheap for a reason and others might be actually mispriced but that's where diversification comes in and it will help you protect against that ignorance of knowing which is a value trap and which isn't so when i first adopted this strategy i allocated around two and a half grand um each quarter and i invested evenly a 500 euro among five stocks over the course of a full year until i had about 20 in the portfolio um now I just invest 10K at the start of each year over 20 stocks as opposed to each quarter. And then I just rebalance quarterly. So, okay, so now for the rules. This, these are the rules that are going to define your buying, selling and rebalancing. So if your stock is up and falls off the screener, then you hold the stock for one year plus one day. Now this whole one year plus one day um, thing, this really just applies to US investors as it maximizes the after-tax returns. It doesn't really apply in Ireland, but I, I still stick to it nonetheless. Um, it might make sense to realize gains to the value of say 1,270 euro in a portfolio within a given year. So you can, you can claim that, uh, tax free. That's part of the, the CGT exemption. Um, and then maybe hold off an additional disposal until next year. It's just a thought, like you, you might be able to play around with it yourself. Um, I, I completely just ignore it because it's just, it's, uh, it's meaningless in the grand scheme of things. But um, okay, so if a stock is up and it remains in the screener after one year and one day, hold it until it leaves the screener. If a stock is down and remains in the screener, hold it. If a stock is down and then leaves the screener, sell it. So that's cutting your losers there at the end. So, and also you should check your portfolios to see if you need to rebalance no less than quarterly. And once you've sold a position, rebalance the portfolio into the next best position in the screener that you don't already hold. They're the rules for buy, selling and rebalancing. And I've also outlined how many stocks you should hold in the portfolio. If you've never managed a portfolio before this, it can be tricky because you're you're new to it and you, you might not be sure what you're doing. But if you do look to dabble in this strategy and are struggling, just, just give me a shout and I'll see, see what I can do to help. Now, the juicy part. How would you like to hear how this strategy is performed? Um, when I was doing the research for this episode, I couldn't really find reliable, up-to-date data on this performance. Now, there is certain posts and stuff that measure it themselves, but I'm not too sure about their uh, how they how they measure it and stuff like that. They just threw out a random figure, so I didn't use it. So I'll stick to the results laid out in the book. Now, this is a bit outdated. Um, I think the strategy end, or the, the, the testing on this performance ended in 2017. So yeah, so what I have here is $10,000 invested in the S&P 500 between 1973 and 2017 would have returned $205,000. And $10,000 invested in the acquirer's multiple, like the strategy I've just outlined, during the same time period would have returned $14.9 So yeah, it's pretty pretty cool, but uh, <laughs> be wary because this is all just based on back-tested data and past performance is not indicative of future performance, but, but you know, it, it's, a, it's a gauge. It offers an idea of direction. Anyway, Flipping over to the magic formula investing, which will, which it kind of looks at Buffett's current strategy of wonderful companies at fair prices. And this strategy differs both in terms of selection factors, portfolio construction, buy, sell, and rebalance rules. And as we mentioned earlier, this strategy looks for 
a high earnings yield relative to enterprise value and a high return on capital. The quality element being the high return on capital. And similarly to uh, the acquirer's multiple, Joel Greenblatt has developed a uh, screener, which you can use at magicformulainvesting.com. And once you run the screener, you'll be presented with 50 stocks again. And similarly, you should keep at least 20 stocks in an effort to properly manage risk. Um, I actually think, I'm not too sure now unless you can fact check me, but in his book called You Can Be a Stock Market Genius, he did highlight, I think it's around eight stocks reduces non-market risk by, I think, about 90%. So 20, you know, you're, the, odds are, the odds are very good. Um, so anyway, how has this strategy fared over time? Uh, relative to say the S&P 500 and the acquirer's multiple we mentioned above. Um, so 10K invested in the magic formula strategy between 1973 and 2017 returned 7.9 million. Again, another market beating strategy. And both, both are logical strategies to implement and great for an office investor to begin to understand the nuances in the market. And ju- just to highlight, sorry, I just, I think I probably uh, jumped over it there. I can't even think myself, but um just how, how it differs in terms of buy and sell rules. So it, it's a bit simpler. So you can, uh, for instance, you run the screener, you can buy the 20 stocks up front or you can scale in over the course of a year. Uh, there's no rebalancing rules um, in this strategy. You simply hold the stocks for one year and then you sell them and repeat the process. That's, that's all there is to it. So if you're a more experienced investor, and somehow these strategies have managed to slip under your radar. They're a great tool for finding leads to what could be great investment opportunities. So, you know, if you are going to use them in a, in a different way, treat them as if you're a business owner just looking for leads. Anyway, we'll, we'll, we'll just tie it up here now. So I just want to say investing is hard and it's hard because we're human. Um, so taking the, the, the human element out of the equation can help us make better decisions and stay the course, no matter what the economic climate may be. There's not a lot, lot more to say for now on quant strategies, but it's a huge field in and of itself. And if you're interested in learning more about the strategies I've talked about, um, I'd recommend you check out a little book that beats the market by Joel Greenblatt and the acquires multiple by Tobias Carlyle. I've definitely sure i've mentioned these on the podcast before and if you're more a more experienced investor definitely check out deep value by tobias carlisle it's a fantastic book a bit more detailed than uh, the acquirer's multiple more so for an experienced investor and also quantitative value which tobias co-authored with wes gray on uh, one last recommendation would be the man who solved the market by gregory zuckerman uh, which is the story about Jim Simmons, who runs Renaissance Technologies, a massive quant hedge fund. And he's also produced a better investment track record than Warren Buffett and barely anyone has heard of him. So yeah, they'd be the books that I'd recommend. But uh, anyway, that's all for now. And if you have any questions, be sure to reach out. If not, we'll catch you in the next one. Thanks for listening to the Kickstart Garage. This show is for entertainment purposes only. 
This show is for entertainment purposes only. No one on the show has provided investment advice. The information provided by the Kickstart Garage podcast should not be construed as investment advice. The opinions and views expressed on the Kickstart Garage podcast or those of the participants do not reflect those of the host or sponsors. The Kickstart Garage, its producers, sponsors, hosts and guests shall not be liable for losses resulting from the investment decisions based upon the opinions or viewpoints presented on the Kickstart Garage.